Well, it's my pleasure today to introduce to you our speaker, um, Pastor Jim Jessup. And Jim is the director of church relations at a school called William Jessup University. Now, it is very interesting that I have in, we have in our audience today some people from Jessup Cellars just down the street who I used to sell my grapes to. So it's a great name here locally. <laughs> so, Pastor Jim, come on up. I just wanted to, you to get to know the, our congregation a little bit and sure. them to get to know you. Now, you're the director of church relations at, right. at the college. Mm -hmm. And so tell us exactly what that means, what you do, and a little bit about the college. Because of the mission statement of the university that goes like this, in partnership with the church, the purpose of William Jessup University is to prepare transformational leaders for the glory of God. And those first five words, that's my job. I am there to keep William Jessup University firmly grounded and in relationship with you guys. Now, Pastor Jim, you have a personal history here in Napa Valley, correct? I do. I was a youth that. pastor down in uh, First Christian Church in Napa uh, years ago, back 20-some uh, years ago. And uh, Rocco and uh, his kids and my kids used to hang out together. There's a few of you here I recognize and recognize some faces. And uh, like me, you may have a little less hair, but it's good to see you. <laughs> so you've been in the ministry now for many years. Yeah. And uh, tell me just... Before you get into your sermon, which I know you're speaking on a great topic of trusting God even if, um, what do you personally still get excited about preaching about Jesus for? What, oh. what brings that to you? I, I guess what excites me the most is when I see young people, that's why I love being at the college, there's 18 to 22 year olds that are our main project, of course, uh, during the day. There's about a thousand of those. And when I see them make the change in transformation of their own lives and in their own hearts, that is what excites me the most because the word of God is powerful. Amen? Amen. And when we come to realize the truth of God's word, what it can do to our lives to transform us is powerful. And so it is a joy to see that happen in other people's lives. And that's why I do what I do. Well, very good. Thank you. We appreciate you. Good to be with you. It, it is my joy to be with you. So fun. Jimmy, Rocco, thank you for leading us in worship. I do tend to wander just a little bit. I will stay out of your pew, but I thought I'd better do this just to make sure that I'm heard. And it is such a joy to be with you. Robert, thank you for a fine introduction. I had a chance to go to lunch with, uh, with your pastor back a few months ago. Really enjoyed meeting Dan. I thank folks. God is going to move in this place. I think some wonderful things are going to happen. I don't know if you're visiting today, but remember, I am a visiting preacher. If this doesn't go well, come back, okay? <laughs> because it won't be me. And I would love for you to meet Dan if you're visiting today because he is a wonderful guy. And I think you'd really enjoy learning of God's word and seeing his heart. Preaching is, is, is giving the word of God through personality. I run a preaching club at William Jessup University. Students don't have to be in it. They don't have to come to it. It's not for credit. It's for those who feel called to go and share God's word. And that's what I tell them, man. Preaching is, is, is truth through personality. So everybody's going to share it differently. And so, like I say, if this doesn't go real well, come on back, okay? But uh, Dan called me up uh, a little while back, and uh, he said, Jim, you, you believe in free speech? And I said, well, of course I do, Dan. I believe in free speech. He said, good, come give one. <laughs> so, here, so here I am, 
Uh, and uh, we do pray he will be back. Uh, amen? Yeah, good, good. I also hope that I can come back sometime. I've actually preached here a good seven or eight times uh, back when this building still looked like it was from the late 1800s. Uh, that's no offense to you who are from then, you know. I mean, uh, from, from the time when I preached, is what I mean. Uh, it, is, it is such a joy to see so many faces that I remember, but in a new place, and God's doing, God's doing, doing new things. Amen? And I'm excited about that. Well, uh, just really quick, because Robert uh, so kindly brought up where I was from, I did bring a little thing called My Story. There's some stories about some students. There's stories about faculty and staff in there, and it's on the welcome table as you leave today. If you'd like to grab one, I'd love for you to have it, because, well, I hope there's more young people that you might know, maybe even yourself, that thinks about a career life change, because we need more and more who would consider full-time ministry. Uh, there are churches that are hurting through this COVID time. There are churches, there are pastors who have unfortunately uh, given up. And though they've not given up on the Lord, they, it's, it's been a very difficult season. And uh, one of my roles is to raise up young leaders, preachers and pastors who would consider taking on opportunities to preach God's word. And it definitely is a calling. It definitely has to be a calling. And I pray maybe you'd think a little bit about it for your own life or your own relatives or your own friends to share with them that they might consider William Jessup as a place to study for that. So thanks for taking that with you if you'd like. Let me just challenge you with these two words. Um, the two words are this, even if. Even if. And in just the next few moments, I'd like to, I'd like to challenge you about those two words, trusting God, even if. You see, I get those two words from Daniel chapter 3, and in fact, you'll see the, the small portion there in your little handout. But let me set the stage for you. There were three young men. Their names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Now, those were Hebrew names that they were given that glorified God. But when they were taken from their homeland by King Nebuchadnezzar to modern-day Iraq, please understand this is not a fairy tale. Whether you believe what really happened to them, that's up to you. But what where it is told and the people that it involves were real. Iraq is where Babylon was, modern-day Iraq. They, they were taken from their homeland, they were Hebrews, named to glorify God, and they were renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you don't know the story, or maybe you've never seen Veggie Tales. Okay, I got a few laughs, good. If you don't know Veggie Tales, great cartoon about scripture, it's really good, vegetable. Anyways. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were renamed with those names because King Nebuchadnezzar was going to teach them his culture, his gods, his way, his foods even. Well, you might know the story. In Daniel chapter 3, everyone is told they will bow to this certain idol that had been erected. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow because they only bowed to their god. Because of it, they're brought in before the king. And oh, I'd have loved to have been there to see this happen. One of the three. Amen? <laughs> because I love you, Lord, but if I don't have to go through that, I would not, rather not. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall watching these three young men as the king looks at them and says, if you do not to a furnace. You see, that was the people he didn't like. Every king had their way of doing it. Nero, hundreds of years later, would put Christians on a stake, cover them in tar, and light his garden with them. Gruesome. This is what they faced. 
And as they looked at the king, and the king says, if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. One of them says in Daniel chapter 3 at verse 17, one of them says, but I think all in unison of heart, our God is able to save us, O king. He will rescue us. Wow. What that would have been. To look at the most powerful man in the region at this time, knowing he could throw them into the furnace, and looking at him and saying, our God is able to save us, O king. He will rescue us. Very next verse, verse 18. But even if, but even if he does not, we will not bow. That preaches, okay? Did they, however, did they say that because they wanted to say they didn't want to look stupid? Go with me on this. It's possible. What, is that why they said, hey, uh, I don't know if God can really save us, guys, but, but let's just say that. And we don't want to look stupid while we're burning up in the fire. This is the most powerful man in the region, and he's killed thousands of people in the furnace. Because they understand the sovereignty of God in their lives. Whoa, think about that one for a minute. What is it to accept, believe in and accept the sovereignty of God in your life? What is it? It is to say that he is the creator and I am the creation. And I will take what God gives me. That is a hard thing to do. Isn't it? Come on, give me a nod or two because all kinds of times when I've I know a lot better for my life than you're allowing me to have right now. Why am I going through this, God? Why am I going through that? Why is this happening in my life? And if I don't accept the sovereignty of God, then I'm saying to God, I know what's best for me. And folks, let's be real. There are many times in our lives where it is really hard not to think to ourselves, God, i this wrong. This isn't right. My kids shouldn't go through this. My, my, my spouse shouldn't go through this. I shouldn't go through this, whatever this is in your life, because we've all had these times. But what are my options? I can trust God even if, or I can choose to trust God only if. <laughs> yeah. And there are many times in my life where I have trusted God only if. Oh, oh, oh Lord, only if you work this out. trust you, God, if they die? How, how can I trust you if I lose my job? God, how, how can I trust you with what's happened with my kids? Do I trust my God only if or even? Let me tell you where, heavy, hang with me. Let me tell you where I get this idea of only if trust because I think we learn it when we're young and we work daily throughout our lives to figure out how to trust God even if. Because only if we learn when we're young. My son, he, he, when he was about, he's years old now, and, and he's got a, a, his own son, and, and I'm, I'm old. Don't just look at it. It's getting thinner. And, and when he was like four years old, three years old, we took him to a place called Discovery Zone. I was a pastor in San Jose, and Discovery Zone was this big playland area where parents got to go in too. So we, we, we were in there. I'm having a great time. My son's about three. My daughter's about five. My wife on the side just laughing at me because I'm acting like a big kid. And I'm in there having a great time. We're all done. I pick up my son. I put him on my lap. I grab his little stocking foot to put his shoe on. 
and you can, you know, they're real flexible. So I pulled it way up by his ear. Oh, sorry. I, I pulled, I pulled the shoe. I, you, you with me? You're trying to get that little shoe on. And laughing. We're giggling together. I'm tickling him. It's a great father-son time. It was awesome. But then you know what happened? I didn't have a good grip on his foot, and I couldn't get that little shoe on because he was curling his toes. And, and, and I, didn't, I didn't hold on to him well. And I, I accidentally spread my legs a little too far apart, and I dropped him on his head. I just, just thud. Carpeted cement, you know, it wasn't a real long distance, but it was enough for him to stop laughing. And he's laying there, his eyes are huge, his mouth is open, and I'm thinking, oh, this is terrible. Buddy, I'm so sorry. I wanted to pick him up and hug him and love on him. And you know what he did? He ran to mom. <laughs> and you know what he learned? He learned daddies make mistakes. I really believe it. Driving home, I'll never forget it. Driving home, I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and he's sitting in his little car seat in the back. He's just frowning at me. I said, buddy, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And he's frowning because I think he learned daddies make mistakes. And I got to thinking to myself, how much is that like me and God? Everything's really good. Life is good. The job is good. Finances are good. Relationships good. Health is good. Everything's good. And then I get dropped on my head. You get that notice from the doctor that says, I think it's cancer. Someone you love moves away. Someone you love dies. Your job gets relocated. Your kids don't want to talk to you anymore. You get dropped on your head. My question is, who do you run to? Do you trust God? Only if? Everything works out the way you think it's supposed to work out? Or you try even if, man, even if. And if I do anything today with you and for you and encourage you toward, it's that you might plant a little bit of a stake in your life that says, this day I want to choose to trust my God, not only if, but, hey, whoa, what a group. All right, about half of you almost. You know that you'd walk out saying to yourself, you know what, that is the kind of faith I want. That is the kind of God I want. Not only if, I'm only expecting my God to be my servant. God, do this for me. Make this work. Have this happen. Why, God, did you do it this way? But if I say to God, God, I know you know what's best. I'm living in a sinful, fallen, messed up world. And in this world, I'm going to have problems. But thank you, God, for being with me, for walking through it with me. Therefore, I will trust you even if... It doesn't always go the way I want it to go. This is the trust that I am trying to learn. This is the trust that I'm trying to have, and it's what I'm asking you to consider today. So with this in mind, let me share with you one story from Scripture, how I think we can get this even-if kind of trust, okay? And then I'll get you out of here. You can beat the Presbyterians to brunch. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? No? I say the same thing when I'm preaching to the Presbyterians. Okay, come on. You can laugh. God has a sense of humor. You just look at the person next to you and you know God has a sense of humor. Amen? Okay. I'm a guest preacher. I won't be back. All right. Matthew, Matthew 14. Matthew 14. I'm just going to read it to you. It's a great story. If you've, if you've been in church at all, you know it. If you don't, hang with me because it's a great story. You can learn it and some great things from it. Matthew 14 at verse 22, it says, Jesus immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. 
Now, this was at the Sea of Galilee, okay? Real sea, real place, real people. He had just did an incredible miracle of feeding 5,000, and he's tired. He wants to go up on a hillside by himself to pray. So he tells his disciples, get in the boat and go. And they're just thinking, I guess we'll meet him somewhere. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land. It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, which is very early in the morning, still dark, he went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Oh, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come here, he said. Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down and those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. In just the next 15 minutes, okay, would you be with me in the boat? Because I want to talk to you about stepping out of a boat of only if trust. And trust in God even if. Just get in the boat with me. I was a youth pastor in, uh, in the late, and I was in Klamath Falls, Oregon. And we would bring kids down to Lake Shasta for a water ski trip. On the Friday night of the water ski trip, I taught on this story. Because that's a good one for a water ski trip. You with me? Walking on the water? Okay. Got them all to sleep. They're in tents. I have a crazy youth sponsor with a boat says, you want to go for a boat ride? And it was dark. And I said, go for a boat ride. And we get in the boat. We go out in the middle of the lake. And he turns off the engine. And we're sitting there. And it is eerie. Are you with me? You ever been on a boat at night? And we're just kind of rocking like this a little bit. And everyone's going to the bottom of the boat. And I think, what is that? And you look over and it's Greg, the guy who owned the boat, I said, Greg, what if we saw some guy over here on the water? He's just standing on the water. He says, I'd get this boat out of here. <laughs> and yeah, it would be frightening. It would be so There's these, listen, and we teach, be there with me, would you? He's just bobbing up and down. Have you thought about it? I'm not making light of scripture. I'm trying to get you to be with me. You see, in theology courses at William Jessup University, like that. Was Jesus bobbing up and down? Other topics like did Adam, the first man in the Bible, you know who was created from the dust of the earth? Adam, did he have a belly button? Ha <laughs> ha, come on, work on that one a while. That's a tough one. Okay, Jesus is bobbing up and down. Is this on? Yeah. Bobbing up and down. Or was he standing firm? Why do I want you to picture it? Because if you're not picturing it, you're not working hard at putting scripture into your own life. It's exactly what he wanting you to do every time you pick up his word. Can I see myself there? What would I do if I was in that boat? It's not really important. Was Jesus bobbing up and down or was he standing still and the water hitting against his ankles? But man, if you won't picture yourself in the boat with me for just the next 10 minutes here, this message really won't matter to you.
things. Here's what happened. Peter calls out to Jesus. I don't know many of you here today. Maybe you never have done that. He said, Jesus, if it's you, would you call me to come to you? Maybe today is the day where you say, you know what? I've never really called out to Jesus. Maybe today is the day. Maybe I need to say, Lord, if it's really you that this guy's ranting and raving about, if it's really you as to why they built this building, if it's really you that is there, man, I want to hear your voice somehow. Call me to come to you. Now, listen, I've never heard God's voice audibly. I want you to know that. I've never heard it audibly. I've talked with some people who say, I feel like I've heard God. I would never take that from you. Make sure it matches Scripture. Amen? Whatever any voices you hear, make sure it matches Scripture. But I have heard God's voice as I've been with people like you as we've prayed together. I've heard God's voice as I've read his word. And there's many times when I think, I don't know what that does for me. And there's other times I read it and I go, wow, that was exactly what I needed to hear. Like when I read those two words, even if, and they jumped out at me. And I thought, i got to tell others because that's the kind of trust I want to have. Call to him. Call to him. Second is this, and you've got to take a step. You've just got to take the step. And what was Peter thinking? To step over that boat. Do you know what I think I would have done had I been in that boat, which would have been awesome? Would it not have been incredible to be on that boat with those guys? I think I would have probably said this, Jesus, if it's really you, would you call Matthew to come to you? And Matthew, buddy, if you make it, I am right after you, you know? I would be reaching over. I'm being honest, not trying to be funny. I'm being honest with you. I think many of you probably would like me be poking at the water. What is going on? How is he doing that? Why is he standing on the water? How is he standing on the water? Our rational minds would get going, and I'd be poking at the water. But Peter decides, he's called me. Here I go. And he lifts his leg, and he steps over. And what was he expecting to feel? I've wondered. Would it have been slick? Would it have been mushy? Would his foot have gone up and down on the rollers as they went by? Did it go firm? He stood. That's not the important part. That's my rational mind trying to figure out what it would have been like so I would have done it. No. It's the part that says, God, I will trust you even if I'm going swimming. Because you're there. So he takes a step. You call out to him. You take a step toward him. And third and last, you've got to keep your eyes on him. Amen? You've got to keep your eyes on him. And so easily our eyes have been taking off, taken off this last year and a half or more, our eyes on all of the stuff that is happening in our lives. And I'm with you. That's happened to me too. Too easily we can take our eyes off of what we really need and we start looking at the problems. You know what the wind and the waves were for Peter? Because it says he took his eyes off of Jesus. He saw the wind and the waves. What is it that he saw the wind and the waves but that he had to take his eyes off of Jesus? We're not chameleons, right? You can't look at two things at once his eyes off of Jesus, he began to see the wind and the waves and he began to sink. And maybe some of you here today feel like, man, I feel like I am sinking. I think it was slow. I don't think it was fast. He got that whole line out, Lord, save me. Fast, it just would have been, Lord, you know, in his hand sticking above the water. This is, he probably looked around and thought, how did I get here? What, what, what is going on? I'm up to my chest now. And Peter reaches out, or Jesus reaches out his hand. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? 
and, and, he, and, he, and he picks him up. And what was that like? Could you imagine the rest of the guys in the boat, up to the edge of the boat, looking and going, this is incredible. What is going on? As he picks him back up, and all of a sudden it's firm again. Do you know what I think Peter did? That I think every one of us needs to do? I think Peter kept his eyes on Jesus. Oh, man, right back into that boat, don't you think? He was looking right at him. What is going on? How did this happen? He goes up into the boat, you know. I am not taking my eyes off this guy again. I really think that's probably what happened. But you know what kills me? What kills me in this story is that why was it that, that 11 other guys Peter was walking and not another one of them said, me too. Wow. I think that, you know, if I saw Peter, I would have, I, I feel like I would have said, oh, Lord, I want, I want to do that too. Me too. Lord, call me. You know, here's the important part about this story, though, is that if you would choose to boat, you know that you won't be the first one out. That's already too late. You wouldn't be the first one out of the boat of only if trust, to trust God even if. If you would choose to step out, you would simply be the next one. Because sitting in this room right here is somebody who's lost somebody they love. But they didn't give up on God. They didn't trust him only if. They trusted him even if. There's somebody in here who's lost a child. Maybe they lost their spouse. There's some in here who may at some point in your life you lost your house or your, your, you lost your job and you lost your house. And, and, but you didn't give up on God. So there's already people in this place right here this morning who have stepped out of the boat of only if trust. The question would be, will you be next? Would you be next? The little boy is kite. And... Uh, Oh, you know what I need to do, though, real quick? I need, to, I need to finish the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for you. And then I'll tell you about the guy who flew his kite, and then I'm letting you You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they did not bow, the king was so mad. He was so mad that he told them to heat the furnace seven times hotter than normal. Now, there was no temperature gauges back then. Most likely, they threw in seven times the amount of wood or coal. Picture, if you would, a an igloo made of brick, huge igloo made of brick, possibly as, as large as this room, with a hole at the top and holes around the side for good draft to come through to heat the other bricks they would fire and people get rid of. But you couldn't put a guy in through one of the holes in the side because you couldn't get them all the way into the fire. They could wiggle, they could crawl, they could make their way back out. So the guards would take them up on top and drop them into the center of the fire. That was certain death. Well, it was heated seven times hotter than normal. Picture, if you would, with me that there's smoke coming out. Every little crack, the bricks, there is so much heat that there's those waves of heat you see coming off. And the guards are thinking, how are we going to do this? We're going to die. But the guards have to do through with what they were told to do. They grab Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As they bind them, they take them up on the little steps on the outside of the igloo-shaped furnace, they drop them in. And an amazing thing happens. The king, it says, he looks in, probably into one of those holes where they would throw in more wood. He looks in, and he calls the chief guard, says, Chief, come here. How many did we throw in? This is in Scripture. Read this. 
How many did we throw in? Chief says, oh, king, we threw in three. We threw in three. And the king says, then why do I see four? Why do I see four? And one looks like the son of the gods. He didn't know who it was. You know, I know there are some people in our world today who say, come on, Jim, you really believe that? I say, you know what? As I look at creation, I realize there has to be a creator. As I look at creation, I realize there has to be a creator. This didn't always exist. The universe did not always exist. In fact, all scientists, rational scientists tell you there was a big beginning. What do they call it? The Big Bang. When time, space, and matter, and the laws that govern them all began. And you know what Genesis says, the first three words? In the beginning. What brings you in here today is that I believe you believe the next word is God. And so I believe that story is true. And he could teach these three young men how standing with them, standing with God, would be an amazing blessing in their life as they were thrown into this furnace and he would stand with them. An angel, uh, Jesus in a pre-incarnate body. Jesus hadn't been born yet, okay? This was before Jesus' birth. Whatever it was, God stood with them. And when Nebuchadnezzar called them out, only three came out. The fourth was gone. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, their God is God. And I hope he is yours. Little boy went to fly his kite. He went across the street, three rolls of string to a little park. And he, uh, he let the kite out. And it was so high that there was real difficulty even seeing the kite. Uh, got to the end of the string, tied on the second roll, let it out. Tied on a third roll of string. Now the string is going like this. And it's dipping into the horizon like this and going up. And you can't even see the kite anymore because of low clouds and fog. And an old man comes walking along. He says, son, what are you doing? Little boy's sitting there holding this string that goes nowhere. And the old man says, boy, what are you doing? Little boy says, mister, I'm flying my kite. And the old man looks. He says, I don't see anything up there. Little boy says, oh, oh yeah, mister, there's a kite up there. And, and, and the old man looks again. He says, no, son, I don't, I don't see anything up there. I think you're wrong. And little boy, he frowns and he says, mister, he rightly says, mister, take hold of the string and you can feel it pull. Every time Dan gets up here to preach or anybody gets up here to share with you God's word, they're flying a kite that you may or may not. I was talking about, or maybe even right now you're thinking, man, we got to hurry to make lunch. I just want to challenge you. That maybe, maybe today you might just take hold of the string and see if he pulls. Because there is a kite on the end. I know. And I hope you'll take hold and see if, see if you don't feel it pull today. May you trust God, not only if, but even if. Bless you, church. Father God, thank you for the chance for me to share. These are some great people, Lord, that you have assembled in this place today. Father, uh, we thank you for the grace that you have given that, Lord, everyone in this place today can be saved by that grace through their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that this day they would choose a faith in you that is not only if everything works out the way they want it to this week, but they rely on you as sovereign Lord and God, and they trust you even if. And in that, the reward of you standing with us during the tough times of the furnace. 
standing with us during the difficult times in our jobs, in our homes, in our places of uh, business, whatever it is, Lord. And that, God, you, you are our provider. You are our God. And we will submit to you and trust you even if. I pray that for these, my friends and family, until we meet again in your son's name. Amen.